Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to another episode of Basic Folk. If this is your first time tuning in, thanks. It's very nice to have you. This is a podcast that has honest conversations with folk musicians. And I am your host, Cindy House. Delightful to be here with you. Today on the podcast today, Jenna Nichols, who has this really great 1930s depression era jazz folk sound to what she does going to get into what we talk about with Jenna. But first, let's thank our sponsors for Basic Folk. Basic Folk is brought to you in part by Winterbirds. Their new album, Shaker Songs, takes 18th and 19th century sacred texts from American shakers and puts it to all new progressive bluegrass compositions, exploring the poetry of this unique community. You can find Shaker Songs by Winterbirds on Bandcamp. Basic Folk is brought to you by motivational life coach Janet Forrest, who believes it's never too late to ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mention Basic Folk and you'll receive 25% off your first month of coaching when you visit JanetForrest.com to get started. First time I saw Jenna Nichols perform, I believe, was when she opened for Ingrid Michaelson uh, last Christmas season. Um, and then I found out that she's from the Pittsburgh area, which I was in Pittsburgh at the time. And then I found out she's really good friends with Mark Dignam, who is an Irish singer songwriter who's been living in Pittsburgh for a long time. And he is actually on a previous episode of Basic Folk, which you should go listen to if you haven't, because he's great. Anyways, Mark introduced Jenna and I over email. Finally got a chance to meet up. We did this interview at Brandeis University in this spare room surrounded by a ridiculous setup of um, dirty tablecloths, stacked chairs, and like weird canvas signs that I kind of like wrapped around us to like dampen the sound, but I'm pretty sure it makes the interview very awesome. Uh, anyways, Jenna Nichols is a really fun musician to watch live. Uh, she talks a little bit to us about her childhood. So she was like definitely uh, a kid that had a really big imagination, friends with the trees, believed furniture was alive. Her music is reflective of the golden age of radio and the Depression era, like 1930s. And I, what I like about her music is that her lyrics like put people in a place visually. And she also encompasses like several different tones, including this delightful, lighthearted falsetto. Uh, so I'm very excited to get into this conversation with Jenna Nichols. And you can go to my website, cindyhouse.net, for show notes on, on Jenna Nichols and get into her latest album and a music video is up there. Um, but we're going to listen to a song right now where she does that kind of like really fun falsetto character voice. And like, I don't know how she pulls it off, but 
it's very it comes off very well and it, i feel like a lot of other people if they tried to do this it would come off super corny but i really love uh, how this sounds so let's get into this song and then we'll talk to jenna nichols here's piggy from jenna nichols on basic folk If you were me, I'm sure you'd agree The present situation is not what I intended it to be But life has a funny way of taking your plans away Ooh, so pennies come and they go But now and then I sneak one away Someday I'll have enough saved and No one's gonna take my piggy away It's just you and me, honey Someday I'm gonna spend all that money on me Just me, I'm gonna put my best dress on You and me will paint the town Be the Jenna Nichols, thanks for talking. Thanks for having me. Um, so we are right now at Brandeis, is it college? Brandeis College? Brandeis University. University, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, your latest release is Radio Parade. Yes. Is that right? And I wanted to ask you about the song Home, mm-hmm. which I was really happy to come across. Um, can you tell me about the background of that song and what your, I mean, it's about your parents' house and what your parents' house was like? Sure. Um, yeah, so I grew up in a just a normal uh, ranch house in the middle of the suburbs, but when you're when I was little, I thought everything, and I, I think a lot of kids feel this way sometimes that everything is alive, and so like the chair is alive and the bed is alive, and so you have to be careful about what you say because like, don't say anything about the chair because it'll hear you. <laughs> so, um, and and I I spent a lot of time alone when I was a kid, so I had a very active imagination making up stories about the trees in my backyard. I thought they were, they would talk to me and I would talk to them. And um, so when I found out that my family was moving, I wasn't going to have a chance to go home and sort of have closure on the end of that period of my life and say goodbye to the bed and the, my room and my clothes and all that kind of stuff. Um, Also the trees, too. The trees, Mm -hmm. yes, particularly the tree in the corner, the Mm -hmm. front corner. We were friends. And (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, I I sat in the kitchen and I I shed a little tear. And and then for some reason in the moment, very shortly after I had this sort of emotional outpouring, I realized that I better grab a pen because this is – this is really good material. So (laughs) um, so – I, ended, I wrote that song pretty quickly. I just started strumming something on the ukulele, and then I thought it would be nice on the piano, so I took it over there, and I sat down and played it on the piano, and, and that's what came out. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank music, you. Music video is also Oh, really thank beautiful. you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I was um, listening to an interview. You were explaining how it was being shot. Is it that um, a lot of it is like a reflection of you? And yes. That, and that's like really they're filming the reflection? Yes. So... How I had to do it was I had to sit in a chair but lean almost out of the chair 
and have my reflection um, reflected in a, in a bowl of water that was on the floor. And so once my image was in the water, the cameraman shot the water, and then there was another woman on the side who would blow uh, her breath into the water and make little waves. So that image of my reflection is ripply and... So beautiful. And I also had to sing the song backwards um, to get a slow motion effect. So I had to learn how to mouth all of the words in reverse, which was challenging, but, but, really, um, but really fun. And a little bit of that ends up being in the video. For all the work that went into learning it backwards, I think there's about 10 seconds of me actually singing in the, in the video, but it was really fun to do. And you learned the whole song backwards. Mm -hmm. Well, it's actually not too – it wasn't too hard. They, they just played it backwards for me, and then you just memorized the sounds. Oh, okay. And so you just mouthed the sounds. Um, uh, but it was really fun. Oh my gosh, that would be so fun to hear you sing that song backwards. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, like your Missy Elliott ex yeah, moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what was the music being played in your house growing up, and what was resonating with you? Um, we listened to a lot of music in the car. Um, my dad had a tape of the Everly Brothers that we listened to all the time and it was just one of those things my my parents weren't really music connoisseurs although my dad comes from a very musical family um, but we didn't have you know stacks and stacks of records um, there was a tape in the car of that there was a tape of Makem and Clancy um, they were they're Irish, Irish folk singers so I learned a lot of the Irish was it Tommy Makem Tommy Makem yeah, yeah. So I learned a lot of the, the Irish folk songs when I was little. Can I guess if Danny Boy might have been on that tape? No. Wow. No, not at all. Never mind. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then uh, songs from the 50s, that was another one in the car. Uh, Simon and Garfunkel, they were a huge fan of them. And I'm still a huge fan of Simon and Garfunkel and Paul Simon. But then I, I listened to classical music a lot when I was growing up, as well as jazz um, just on the radio, really. Um, and I didn't actually get exposed to really great pop music and rock until I was in my early 20s. It was very, very late. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so um, when all of people were talking about like the Cocteau Twins and things like that, I'd never heard of those people. <laughs> <laughs> much later it was like but that it was like this amazing discovery yeah yeah oh man so many questions we could go from here mm -hmm. um I definitely want to talk about um classical music and your relationship to the radio and we can come back to that but I read that you started out as a painter before you decided music was it um, so talk a little bit about that and maybe how your experience painting is influential on your music. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so I had always, I, I definitely, I went to school for painting. All of the schooling that I had up until college really was art and the visual arts. Where did you go to college? Uh, I went to Seton Hill in Greensburg, um, not to be confused with Seton Hall in <laughs> New Jersey. But yeah, I, I was always painting and drawing and, and doing something like that. And never, it didn't even occur to me that I would become a singer or a songwriter. And uh, while I was in school for painting, a couple of friends of mine uh, were looking for a piano player 
uh, for their band. And I played a little bit of piano. I took lessons, but sort of half-heartedly and wasn't too excited about it. And But I could play a little bit. And so I volunteered to go down. And then while I was in the rehearsal with them, they asked me if I could sing some backing vocals. And I said I would try. And, and so that's how that started to happen. But as far as um, the visual side of things entering my music, I try very hard to uh, make my lyrics put you somewhere visually. Um, so rather than saying, I feel bad, you know, there's a way that you can say that visually that creates a story in your head. You know, and the perfect example of that would be the opening line to Helpless, Neil Young's Helpless. Like there is a town in North Ontario. I mean, you're, mm. are, you're instant, so you're instantly in that town and then you go from there and then there's a story. And yes, you can feel helpless, but now you know exactly where you are in that space. So um, I think it's really important to do that, to create a visual landscape lyrically and take you somewhere. Yeah, I'd like to hear more about um, classical music and how it played, how classical music played into your early performance and development, and where it continues to influence you. Really good ways, and and some really bad habits that I needed to break. Um, good in that classical music exposes you to a lot of musical a lot of musicality that you wouldn't find normally in pop music. So there are many more options available to you than just three chords, even though those those three chords could make an amazing song. There are other options that I think a lot of pop musicians don't feel, or even folk musicians don't feel like they can go to, but there, and I think classical music can take you there um, and show you different possibilities. At the same time, though, there's a perfectionism to classical music that as a performing musician for folk and jazz, you need to really lose because it's more about the vibe and getting a message across and you don't have to play every note perfectly and you don't have to sing every note perfectly. It's you have to believe in what you're doing and emote the truth of what you're doing rather than the perfect note. And I think uh, being ex being around a lot of classical musicians and the, and they're gifted and 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 wonderful artists, um, there is a pressure on them to to perform perfectly at, versus you know what I'm doing now, which is just like make sure you're having fun mm. on stage, right? Rather totally. than being you know, oh, that the intonation on that was a little bit off, you know? So, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's probably been... And just, like, loosen up and have a good yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, because the tone of your music is very, I don't know, it can run the gamut of emotions, but mm -hmm. I think generally it's very much made to make a person feel good and lighthearted, or at least to, to you know, stop and think Thank a little you. bit. Yeah. Um, I think we need a lot of that right now, especially... Um, I think there's a way to, and and politically especially, um, we can write political songs and 
you know, raise our fists about the climate. Mm. But also there's a lot of that going on. And so the alternative to that is to write something that makes you forget about it. Mm. And you need a break sometimes. And just a break. Yeah. I mean, I know that over the past couple of years, I found that a lot that I need to step away from mm. it because it can be very emotionally taxing. Mm. And it's important to give yourself a breather and to laugh a little bit. And so... Um, part of the part of the thing that I like about some of the songs that I have is it allows you to do that a little bit. Yeah, where where do you find um, an oasis when it comes to trying to take a break from that exact climate you're talking about? Um, my husband and I have a we have a house. We we bought a house about six years ago, a fixer upper um, in the middle of the mountains, and so um, in in Woodstock outside of outside of Woodstock. And we spend a lot of time up there, and there's no TV, and we try our best to keep our phones locked in a drawer, and, you know, we just sit outside and watch the leaves, and there are birds that we like, and they, they live in our yard. And, You're and friends we, with them? We are friends with them. Yes, I'm <laughs> friends with those trees, too. Um, and uh, so we spend a lot of time just getting back to slowing down and just sitting and being in a really quiet space, um, which we find very, very helpful. And at night we do little campfires and stuff. Okay, fine. I'll come it's visit. It's great. Yes. You're yeah. more than welcome. Okay. Open great. invitation. Um, this might be a good time to talk about the radio. Do you have a radio at the house? Uh, no. Um, we used to though. And you get so frustrated <laughs> you threw it out. No, you know, um, it, but again, it was I, I'm addicted to, you know, talk radio and things like that. And I was just obsessed with, you know, NPR and what was, you know, and they ended up veering towards a political thing, which is what I was trying to get away from. So I just, I, so no, now we just specifically listen to music. We have a record player and, and lots of records. And so it's, it's definitely a nice place to isolate yourself. Yeah. Um, what has been your evolution and your relationship with the radio, particularly old time radio? Um, and how do you, do you stay connected with it at all? I do. Um, uh, most of the, the artists that I listen to now are long dead. Um, you know, like Hank Williams and, um, Ruth Edding and artists from the 20s and 30s and 50s, K-Star and Patsy Cline. And love old-time radio, love the stories that came from old-time radio. There's something that's really, rather than television, where something is just being shown to you and you're just sitting there taking it in, radio, particularly with a story or a song with good lyrics, gets you thinking and you have it gets your imagination like the little movie camera in your head can start rolling and and i like that a lot about radio especially you know great programs like radio lab and and stuff like that are are fantastic for that mm, yeah so it's pretty it seems pretty clear that you're drawn to intelligence um i'm thinking of i i don't know i was just listening to your song is it called I Like Guys That Wear Glasses? Yeah. yeah. It's an amazing song. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'd like to talk about your experience with, you know, um, intelligence, basically. Like what kind of student or what kind of smart were you when you were a kid? 
I was a terrible student. I really didn't have much interest in school at all. I liked to read, but as far as um, science class and math, I really had no interest at all and nearly flunked out. Um, I was very good at art. But, you know, I was I was pretty much always drawing pictures in a way with the fairies. You know, I was my imagination was, mm. you know, I'd get up and just start staring out the window. I probably had ADD, but it was too early. It was before all of that became, you know, uh, focused upon in childhood development. Mm. <laughs> so they just thought I was crazy. It was like 80s, 90s. It was, yeah, 80s. Yeah. Um, and uh, you just you just <laughs> needed to calm down. I, yeah, yeah, basically. I'm sure I would have. I'm sure if I, I had a been a child milk. of the of uh, the 2000s, I would have been on plenty of medication. Mm, wow. Um, but you know, it is what it is. And I and um, but yeah, I wasn't a very good student. It really wasn't until after college that I really got into books. And when it wasn't forced on me, mm. it became much easier for me to want to seek it out a little bit more Yeah, when I wasn't being told that I had to do it. It does make you think, though, that like different learning approaches for different people are very important Absolutely. to consider. Yes. Um, did you fit in as a kid? Not at all. No. I was a black sheep everywhere I went. I was, yeah, very different and teased a lot. Why? Uh, you know, I think I was a very sensitive child also. I was shy and I let people know that when they teased me, it bothered me. And I think a lot of the students in my class kind of preyed upon it and they saw it as a sign of weakness. And so they just would you kept just, going with it. <laughs> you would just be honest and be like, hey, what you yeah, said Yeah, what you said feelings. is bothering me. And, it, and I would cry or something and they, you know... Now I know that it's, I think a lot of the reason why it happened is because they didn't want to get picked on themselves. Um, and so they kind of just went along with the bully or whatever. But, mm. um, but yeah, um, it wasn't, it wasn't pleasant. And, and I was really happy to be rid of it. Um, I have friends who left school early and it was the best thing that ever happened to them. I actually got past that point of it being terrible. And once I got to college, I loved school. Um, I was around much more like-minded people, um, people in the arts. and You could um, chew gum. I could chew gum. You know, <laughs> I could drink. It was great. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I was around – I had I – had, great friends. They were still my friends today um, in college. And and so, and we were all sort of the awkward misfits and we all sort of clung to each other and it was great. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so going back to the guys with glasses song, you make this funny joke before you play that song um, that your husband doesn't wear glasses. Um, but what is he like? How did you meet? How does music play mm. into your lives? Uh, so my husband is a musician and our Mutual friend, uh, Mark Dignam, I was touring with him, and he had a show in New York, and Mark knows my husband and said, oh, we're going to stay with my friend, and so we met out on the street, and uh, and then the rest was history, basically. Did you hear, like, Dreamweaver when you saw him? Uh, but, uh, you know what? Honestly, when I <laughs> when I saw him, the first time I saw him, he was, I mean, he was really attractive, and I 
and I saw him, and inside of my head, I said, "Oh, this is trouble." I will. I will never forget. I was like, heard that. This yeah, is trouble. I've heard that voice. Yeah, before. and <laughs> so, um, like, this is trouble. Like, not in a good way. Like, like not. Like, no, I was just like, this is. You know, like sometimes when I meet people, I know instantly that there's gonna be we're going to have some sort of history together, like friendship or relationship or whether like there's just an instant connection. And, and mm -hmm. I definitely felt that with him. And, and, um, so, so he's a musician, we play together and, uh, no, he does not wear glasses, but he is very intelligent and he doesn't need to wear glasses to, mm. to have my heart. He's so, that good. Yeah. He's <laughs> that good. Um, and he's a kind and, and warm He's, he's an amazing person. Oh, great. What's his name? Brendan O'Shea. Brendan O'Shea. Mm -hmm. um, does he have a, his own solo work? He does, yes. Mm -hmm. and he's a great writer himself. Great. Um, and as, Irish. Yes, he's Irish. His stuff is more uh, folk-oriented than mine, maybe. Um, and I don't think it's it's quote-unquote Irish. It's just, he's just a folk songwriter. Yeah. Um, he just happens to be Irish. So... Before I knew that your husband was Irish, um, I noticed that you do have a strong connection with Irish songwriters, um, Mark particularly, mm -hmm. who can, mm -hmm. Mark Dignam connected mm -hmm. us, um, Glenn Hansard, Mark Geary. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it seems like that was around before you even knew your husband. Mm -hmm. um, I'm interested in knowing how that developed and if there's anything in particular that resonates with you about that particular sound or, or that scene. Oh, interesting. Um, so Mark and I, Mark Dignam and I, uh, have been friends for about twenty years. And through there was a through Mark, uh, I met the Booker of Club Cafe in Pittsburgh at the time, whose name was Carl Mullen, and uh, also Irish. Also Irish. Carl Mullen went on to book World Cafe Live for many years, um, and so Mark and Carl and I hung out a lot. Uh, when I was younger and Carl would have these sessions in his house where it would be late, late at night and everybody would go to his house and we would just pass around the guitar, which is very much a, an Irish tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, they're a very music oriented culture. Um, and so that's kind of how I got introduced to songwriting, um, because the people that I loved the most were doing it and I wanted to keep hanging out with them. And in order to do that, I needed to be a songwriter. <laughs> so that's, so that's, and, and Carl offered me a gig um, at Club Cafe and he, he said, hey, do you want to, because I was just singing covers at the time and, and really didn't know what I was doing. And, and he said, hey, I'm doing a songwriter in the round session at Club Cafe and do you want to do it? And I thought I was so excited and and realized that the gig was three weeks away and I had no material. So I hurried up and wrote some songs and and I played them that night. Two of them I still play now and and that was 20 years ago. Um, the, the other three were complete garbage. <laughs> oh, <that's funny. laughs> um, but it was nice to know that at least one of them is one of the ones that I still play, so. That's so uh, great. Yeah. Um, do you still live in uh, New York City? I do. Okay. Yes. Um, when did you come to New York? Uh, what was your experience like? And how does the city inspire your music? Oh, wow. New York. Talk about it. New York. <laughs> so I started to go to New York when I was living in Boston. Um, 
I a lot of the community that I was associating with and, and getting to know through Mark Dignam was they were all in New York and they those people became great friends of mine and, and it seemed like every weekend I was going to New York to hang out with those people, those these Irish songwriters and uh, and so I was also falling in love with my husband at the time. <laughs> so um I used every excuse that I possibly could to get there. Um, and I was playing there much more than I was playing in Boston. And so uh, I was I was there almost every weekend. And it was a really great, great time. We were spending a lot of time on the Lower East Side. And, you know, that was still when you could sit out on the stoop of the apartment building and people would walk by and and be like, hey, John, what's up? Like everybody knew each other it, within certain radiuses, like certain mm. blocks. They all knew each other and they would just hang out. And um, it's not really so much like that anymore. Um, but it it was a very uh, centralized neighborhood at the time and really fun. It was a very artistically centered community. <clears throat> so... Um, it's a great way to spend your 20s um, and a great way to, to spend your youth, for sure. Um, lots of music and lots of art going on. And um, I discovered a community there that have become my New York family, and they are very much family. Um, one thing that's nice about living in New York is that everyone is from somewhere else, for the most part. And so as, as we emigrate to that uh, that area, you're getting to know people who are in the same boat as you are as far as like, this is new for me. Is it new for you? It's new for me too. Let's do this together. And so you learn and grow together and you really depend on those people to help you out and they depend on you. And um, and those those people have become the most important people in my life, you know, as far as friendship and growth and development and bouncing off artistic ideas. And, you know, it's, it's really been an incredible experience living there. Great. You describe your sound as 1930s vintage throwback. What is it about that sound, that 1930s vintage sound um, that resonates with you? And what do you think it says about your personality? Hmm. I think lyrically, those songs are really strong. Um, also, melodically, those songs are really strong. And I'm a melody person. Um, if a song doesn't have a melody or a strong melody that I can walk away singing, I really don't want to have anything to do with it. So um, <laughs> I'm just being honest. <laughs> bye. Uh, bye. <laughs> so yeah, and there's a, there's a, a vibe to it that even with the the recording methods that were used, which were, you know, we would consider now archaic, created this sort of like crackly sound that I just think is the bee's knees. I love it. Um, and it makes me feel so good. And uh, I love harmonizing with those songs in the kitchen. And they're just easy to sing. And um, there's just something about it that, that uh, is just so lovely. Um, and a lot of it has like a groove that you can kind of like bounce up and down to and it's, and you just kind of want to start dancing a little bit. And I like that too. 
your singing is great, and I think uh, you have a really f- uh, interesting range. Um, hopefully, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. If um, you can talk about your different voices, where mm-hmm. each came from, and maybe what you like about each of them. Yeah. Um, so there's so I have two different voices. Well, there two sort of we could split them in two a little, I guess. Um there's, there's one two main, there's voices, two main and voices and there's some <laughs> others like but um so my my normal what would be considered like a normal singing voice um is I like but I think it's it's nice when it's juxtaposed with this cartoony voice that I do um which is based on me as a kid imitating Snow White. And <laughs> um, oh, it totally is. Yeah, I, I, I so used to do that. Like all the songs that she used to sing in the movie. I don't know, like I'm wishing, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, so I used to do that when I was a kid, and you know, my parents' friends would get a big kick out of it, and um, and then I totally forgot about it. And then when I started to play the ukulele. Um, that's when I really started to write more jazzy songs. And one day I was sort of strumming away and, and then all of a sudden my voice went up there just accidentally and I realized that I could still do it. She was trying to come out. She was trying to, because Snow White was trying to come back. <laughs> so, and I thought it sounded really good with the ukulele and it was really fitting versus with the guitar, not so much. It Like it wouldn't occur to me to do something like that on the guitar, but on the ukulele. It's like when your boyfriend's too tall. Yeah, you know, so, <laughs> so, um, so I started using it just very slowly incorporating it into, and not really purposefully like, oh, I'm going to do something really different. It That wasn't the intention at all, but it just seemed like as I was writing, that's what the songs wanted. That's where they wanted to go. And so, you know, it just seemed like what the song needed to to do and needed to be. And so that's what I, that's what I wrote. And then all of a sudden I had this collection of those songs that had those two voices. And, and so that's kind of what developed that sound. So, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a purposeful, like, I'm going to be unique like that. It's very organic. It was just a very organic thing. Yeah. Okay. This is the part of the interview where we talk about Ms. Hannigan. Okay. Okay. (laughs) You have quite an affection for that particular character Mm -hmm. from the movie Annie, the Mm -hmm. original movie Annie. What do you love about her character? I love that she is not afraid of anything. And I think there's something that's just so, I mean, even with female songwriters uh, and female singers, I really enjoy it when a a woman will you know show me some teeth and it's not it doesn't always have to be about being pretty um and you know it's all right to you know scream at the top of your lungs if you want to you know like get in there and do it like if you're going to get up on stage and and do something like really do it and i think she, carol burnett's character and the way that she portrayed miss hannigan really does that you know she it's um it's just brazen and brave and she's walking around in her underwear and you know and and she's dancing around and she's acting goofy and she doesn't care and there's just there's such a really freeing element about 
not caring about what people think about you. And it allows you to take risks and, you know, you don't have to fit in with the status quo. And that, and I don't know if that's necessarily all Miss Hannigan, but there are elements of that that, I, that are there in that character that mm. I really like. Oh, I love mm. that. Mm. Um, and Carol Burnett, I think, is one of the most hilarious humans. Um, and you kind of have elements of her comedic timing in your personality. I don't oh, know thank if you. you. Agree. Um, do you relate to her, her work in general? I do in that, uh, from what I know about her, she was constantly playing a character and that was the only way that she could be brave enough to um, do the things that she did was to pretend to be somebody else. And I find that to be really helpful when I'm doing something that could be considered completely stupid or a failure or whatever. I'm just going to act like this is this is a part, this is a character that I'm playing. Um, I just love how brave she is. And she just, to me, just had no fear. And I really think that that's a great way to live. Um, and she's a great example for for artists and actors and for women in particular, um, that it's okay to literally fall on your face, which she did. And, um, and I think that's how we should all be. And just don't be afraid to be silly. What's the difference between yourself on stage and yourself in the real world? I have a lot more fun on stage <laughs> <laughs> than I do in real life. Um, being on stage for me is kind of a break, you know, it's a, it's a way for me to just have fun and have a good time. And, uh, and I like, I enjoy talking to people from the stage and being a little silly. And there's something that I really enjoy about that. Um, I tend to get a little bit too serious in real life. And I need to relax a little bit, as everyone will probably tell you who knows me. <laughs> um, I first saw you on tour with Ingrid Michaelson pretty recently, um, back around the holidays. And I want to know what that experience was like for you. And it sounds like your connection with her came about very organically. Yeah. I played a show in upstate New York that was put together by a woman who has known Ingrid for many years. And it just no it just so happened that Ingrid was gonna be in town that evening. She and her boyfriend were looking for a house or something up in that area. And and so my friend who put together this show said, Oh, my friend is playing, which would be me, uh, is playing this this show that I'm putting together. You should come and then we'll go out and hang out afterwards. And so uh I played, I planned on doing the show and, and it was promoted really well. And, um, and I had been to the one that she had done before and it had such an amazing turnout. And I was so excited because I was like, okay, there's going to be a lot of people here. I'm going to be really, it's going to be great. And then I went to go on stage and right before I go on, there was like 10 people in the audience and I was like, oh no is going to be a disaster. 
And so it just ended up being a, a silly thing about the timing that was advertised was a little bit off. So we bumped the show back and it ended up being fine. Oh, man. But that's but a nightmare. <laughs> I had a sort of a little meltdown before the show and and thought that maybe that was going to be my last show ever wow. <laughs> because I was so frustrated. And maybe I shouldn't be saying this publicly, but, but yeah, I was like, I quit music. I'm done. And then... Uh, so then, and then I went back in and there were people there and it was great. Uh, and Ingrid and her boyfriend ended up being a couple of those people in the audience. And she came up to me after the show and we were hanging out and she asked me if I'd want to do her winter tour with her. And, and I said, yes, absolutely. And, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, maybe. Um, okay. Yes, okay. please. <laughs> um, and it was such an amazing experience, but to think that Literally a half an hour before that, I had said I quit music. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, goes to show. You just got to stick with yeah, it. Yeah, but I think everybody has that yeah. thing. Like no matter what you do, like I work in radio and like I'm always like, this is it. Like I'll call my mom and be like, they took away my parking spot. Mm -hmm. I'm quitting. I'm going to go work at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Think, yeah. That's the one thing that I've definitely learned about just from doing this is for as long, and I'm sure you can, you would agree, is that even the smallest shows where there's five people, um, always there's always something else that comes from mm. from just about every one of them. You know, whether I meet just that one person who can, ends up connecting me to another person, and that person sets me up with this show, and you know, it just is sort of like a rolling. Yeah, it's just a, sort of a snowball effect with it. Mm. And and I learned very early on to never, even when there's only five people in the room, to never phone it in mm. because you never know. That one person out of the three that you're playing to could be worth 50,000 people. Right. So, you know, just give it your all, all the time. <laughs> okay, Um in your interviews, you make reference to the fact that you might not like cell phones very much. And throughout the course of our um, interview, I've uh, really enjoyed learning about uh, how much of an imagination um, that you fostered when you were a kid. And it sounds like you continue to foster. Um, so what has been, I don't know if that ties in at all with what you don't like about cell phones or what you don't like about technology, um, but what is that relationship like? It's interesting because I do find that I I spend a little too much time on my phone. And it's something that I'm really aware of and I try and keep it at bay. But you know, I think a lot of times I catch myself thinking, if I wasn't on my phone, what would I be doing now? You know, like would I be reading a book? Would I be painting a picture? Would I be There are so many other things that are much healthier for me that I could be doing. Um, and I notice people sitting in restaurants and at four people at a table and they're all on their phones. And so I don't have a good, I don't, I don't love them. No, I think it keeps people from communicating, like really communicating with each other. Um, I think it keeps people from meeting each other. Um, I think it keeps people from curing diseases because they're sucked into something else that they, when they could be devoting their time to something that's really important. Um, 
Yeah, I and I've always I'm kind of very anti-technology. Even I remember when I was little and VCRs were like a new thing. And I remember being really upset because one of the things that I loved was that The Sound of Music and The Wizard of Oz would come on once a year every like every year at the same time of year and it was an event. But now that those things were on video, those special moments go away. Like there's nothing to look forward to and you don't have to take a nap in the middle of the day so you can stay up late, you know, because now you can watch The Wizard of Oz whenever you want. And so there's just something that was really special about those memories that is now gone because of something that makes things more convenient for you. Um, for everything that we gain, there's there's something lost. And I don't mean to be pessimistic about it, mm. but, you know when there were only three channels on the television, people read a whole lot more than they do now. Um, people were much more aware of what was, go of what was going on politically, um, what was going on in the world. So yeah, I don't want to get off on a tangent on that, but, um, but yeah, I think people should keep in mind that there's more to life than convenience mm. and having everything in the palm of your hand, like things are worth working for and, and memories from things that you had to work for are really important. Hmm. So Love I don't that. know if that's, does that answer that question? Yeah, no, I'm inspired. <laughs> I, I, so. I could be like, rabble, 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 put down your phone, but I don't know how to get back like that. <laughs> no, I like the idea of uh, trying to think of something else to do rather than look at your phone. I often find myself looking at my phone when I feel like very uncomfortable or like unsure of myself. Mm -hmm. and I, I think people get bored really easily and then they just use that time. They're just like, oh, I, I don't know what to do with myself. And rather than having like sitting and thinking about something, mm. it's easier to just pick up and zone out on your phone. Mm. And I'm just as bad. I'm just as bad. I'm just as much to blame as anybody else that I'm pointing a finger at, you know, mm. like I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a hypocrite when it comes to that kind of thing. Mm. But I try and be really aware, you know. Yeah. It's hard. It is. Yeah. You know. Um, well, that was my last question, but oh. I do have uh, – I, I was wondering if you could stick around and we'll do the lightning round. Okay. Okay? Yep. All right. We'll be right back. On Basic Folk, you hear honest conversations about how artists are journeying from point A to B. If you could use support and motivation on your journey, Life Coach Janet Forrest is there for you. Visit JanetForrest.com and mention Basic Folk and you'll receive 25% off your first month of coaching. Basic Folk receives support from McDean, songwriters who love each other. McDean would be delighted to send you a free CD of their first EP, The Sampler Plate. Email lin at mcdean.co, lin at mcdean.co to get one. And thanks to WIUP in Indiana, Pennsylvania, which airs Basic Folk 2 p.m. Eastern every Saturday. You can listen on 90.1 if you're in the Indiana, PA area or at their website, wiupfm.org. All right, it's time for the lightning round. Yay. Yay. All right, Jenna Nichols, are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Okay, this is a series of questions. You can give one word answers or a couple sentences. It's really up to you. Okay. Um, all right, here we go. Dogs or cats or something else? Dogs. 
Favorite U.S. city? Chicago. Favorite teacher? Ray DeFazio. Who is that? He was uh, an art teacher I had in college. What was the last podcast you listened to that you could recommend? Probably Radio Parade. Dream collaboration. Oh, Um, oh, I don't know. That's a tough one. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, What was the first thought that came to mind? I don't, I'm really, I... I, I'm really into the stuff that, that Glenn Hansard is doing, and he's he's part of our community. So, and he just put out a new record, and I and I really love that record. Um, I would I would love to collaborate with him, and and write with him. See, yeah. I could see that happening. It could happen. Well, maybe. May, yeah. Well, who knows? Uh, favorite type of white noise. Really interesting question because I have tinnitus, so, <laughs> so I use I actually use white noise. Um, it's sort of like a high pitched white noise, I guess. Is it cancel out your tinnitus? It can't cancel wow. out. Yeah. Do you have like it's an app or something? Yes. Yeah. You just listen to it on record, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, morning person or night owl? Morning. Um, Gibson or Martin or Fender? Martin. Flying or invisibility? Line. A random fact that I might not know. Dolphins sleep with half of their brain, the other half is awake. What's it doing? It's awake. They, they sleep, They like half of their brain goes to sleep, then that wakes up, and then the other half goes to sleep. Is it so they, like goes so, back they and can forth? keep swimming. Like a pic- oh my god, my yeah. mind is blown. <laughs> okay, uh, this is copyright my friend Samantha. If you were a doll, what accessories would come in your box? <laughs> um, a pretty dress, for sure. Um, really great shoes. Um, probably another dress. <laughs> I'm a huge dress fan, so uh, yeah, it would probably be a closet full of 1940s style dresses. Uh, Star Trek or Star Wars? Trek. Wow. Which, which? Early. Okay. Yeah. Right. Original series. Uh, what's for breakfast? Uh, egg and cheese sandwich. Like egg and cheese on a bagel. Wow. That's pretty much Straight my jam. Up. Yeah. All right. That's the lightning round. You did, Woo. you did wonderfully. Thank you. Wonderful job. Um, Jenna Nichols, thank you so much for taking so much time and um, telling us all your secrets. Thank you so much for having me. And there you have it. What a delightful human being. Jenna Nichols, thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, And you can go to the website, cindyhouse.net, for show notes and find out more information. Also, we talked about um, the music video for her song, Home. That's the one where she, like, had to learn the song backwards. And the the video is just basically like a reflection of her playing the piano, but it's really beautiful video. I've embedded that on my website. You can go check it out. Uh, there you go, cindyhouse.net for all about Jenna Nichols. Laura McCarthy produces Basic Folk. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Music on the podcast by Alex Stanton of Townspeople. I'm your host, Cindy Howes. I encourage you to join our Facebook group. It's called Basic Folk Basics. Uh, You can also sign up for our newsletter at cindyhouse.net. And 
You'll get a weekly update of what's going on on Basic Boke. Always a lot, a ton of fun stuff happening behind the scenes. And definitely a bunch of pictures of my cat because she's very pretty. Okay, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.